when you were growing up in our day and age, even in the eighties, there were still enough black and white movies floating around that as a child, you, you would actually begin to wonder, was the world black and white at one time? Because <laughs> there were so many of them and you would see them that way. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 149 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, mysterious detectives, and so much more. I'm TJ, your host. I'm the I'm the John Watson character on this podcast, and joining me is my partner and our very own detective, Sherlock Holmes. How are you, Joe? <laughs> wow, thank you. Okay, Aren't you happy you get to be might Sherlock? Be the best yet. Yeah, I yeah. thought you'd be happy with that. And you're the absentee pal. You're the uh, guy happily married, honeymooning off into the sunset for the rest of your days. Sure. Leaving me here to, wait a minute, <laughs> who am I? I forgot. We'll, yeah, we'll go I? with that. Who are you again? You're, you're not being analytical enough, so I'm going to revoke your Sherlock Holmes status. Joe, would you, like to, yeah, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah, we have Alexis with us today. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. What is this? We're going to take this out in post. <laughs> what? You don't, for Johnson? <laughs> Johnson? I, I saw yeah. something different on Twitter. It was oh, P. Johnson. Yeah. It, my maiden name was Pajak, P-A-J-A-K. I think actually pronounced Payak. But yeah, I wouldn't expect gotcha. anyone to pronounce that. But yeah, it does <laughs> still you. show up. Okay. So sorry for the confusion. So, good, good, good. so you are Alexis Johnson. Can you uh, can you tell us how folks might uh, know you? I, I believe Joe, you uh, Joe, you're you're the one that brought our uh, Alexis into this, but and I, I have unfortunately not had a chance to catch up on all the things that are regarding you, Alexis. But um, you, you've been on a few podcasts that people might know here and there, and you you write and you do things yeah, like yeah. that. So Alexis has her own website. It's Cathedral Real. Sorry, Real Cathedral. And mm-hmm. she's an excellent review, reviewist, reviewer. <laughs> and she's also been on the microphone with Real World Theology, and I've enjoyed her reviews. We got to talking online. Yeah, and just uh, one thing led to another. I thought she should be on our show. Well, thank you. <laughs> Like-minded people, we'll, we'll have lots to talk about, I'm sure, about a classic like we're going to review today. So yeah. I, I assume we've all seen now uh, yet another rendition of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, but but one that's a little bit different and interesting, and we'll we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the f- yeah, I use classic very loosely. <laughs> All right. So uh, the first thing on our uh, docket tonight is that Will Smith is working on a Fresh Prince of Bel Air reboot. What the heck is going on, guys? Um, this isn't the kind of classic we were talking. No, about no, no, no. I, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> Alexis, I've, I'm assuming you're familiar with the original Fresh Prince of Bel Air. In the 90s. Um, oh, yes. 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 I watched that every day after school pretty much when I was nice. a kid. So. It sounds like you may be more <laughs> familiar with it than I. I. I mean, I feel like it was in some ways the background. Like I, I'm familiar with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air growing up, but I never really watched it that much. So this this whole concept of, you know, everything is a reboot these days. I, I don't know. I don't, what, what do you think of this? 
I don't like it. I think the nostalgia <laughs> thing just needs to stop. Like, yes. Cause it, yeah. Terminator this summer and, and pretty much every Terminator movie beyond the originals has kind of proven that. And just, there's a lot of nostalgia rebooting going on. And I don't think, I think we could do better than that. I'm sure many people have a lot more creative ideas than just keep rehashing the eighties stuff over and over. It would, but. it would sure seem that way, wouldn't it? But, but, but now, so, so which do you consider the originals quote unquote, when you talk about Terminator, for instance, because, because there's um, more than one. And I think that universally yeah. we can all agree that, that the second one is really good. Well, I meant the first and the second, like the okay. original, as much as I don't like James Cameron, his first two yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Terminators were good. So that, that's kind of what I meant by the originals, his films. Okay. Joe, what do you have to say about this? I just find it interesting that Will Smith is producing it. It's, you know, part of his career. And I think he is not going to go in there as, you know, the father of the family in the film or, or the series or anything like that. It's more like, you know, he's uh, just like re- recycling the material that's attached to him. I find it interesting that he's actually been the producer on, he's credited for 25 other things on IMDb, among them uh, several others that were remakes of things like Annie and the Karate Kid. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what to think of it. I mean, it, it sometimes he has some, you know, great material here. The Pursuit of Happiness was not a bad film at all. And he produced that one. But again, that was more of an original story. Okay, now we're probably going to find out it was actually based on a novel uh, adaptation or something like that. But it's hit or miss. You know, you also have After Earth in here and the Hancock 2 film, which has been recently announced. Oh, really? I, didn't, I don't know if Hancock. I knew about that. Yeah, yeah. So mm. I I feel like it's uh, it's not necessarily going to be a – a surefire winner, TJ. I'm, I'm sorry to rain in on your parade there. No, no, no. You're not raining on my parade. I don't think I'm in favor of this either. <laughs> uh, just go back to the Blu-ray set. Relive the glory days. Yeah. Share them with the kids. So, Did you guys hear about the how they re, uh, kind of rebooted Boy Meets World, which was another show I really enjoyed as a kid? No, but, really? Yeah, and uh, Topanga and Corey have a daughter and she's in middle school and that's like where the show picks off. I'm not, I haven't watched any of it, so I'm not sure how it's doing, but... Apparently that mm. happened. I, I have not. I'm not familiar with uh, Boy Meets World uh, in in any way, really. I, I think I'm familiar mm. like with the title, so I'm not really qualified to speak on it. But I, I just I think this whole business with rebooting everything. You know, we're getting Fuller House, and you know, we're we're getting like the, re, the some some stuff is pure reboot, and some stuff is like revisiting. Like X Files yeah. is continuing. Uh, there's this whole Twin Peaks thing, you know, the, t- there's rumors now of Zena Warrior Princess. Like, come on, <laughs> no. <laughs> come on guys, come on. Can we not just do new stuff? I, I don't know. Like, it's a, a certain... I think it's one, but it's it's one thing to reboot a movie or should I say remake a movie if it's a real, you know, genuine classic and you could do something new and different with it. Like I've brought up before on the show, I think that they should remake the story of The Wizard of Oz. And make it uh, t- timeless in nature. Don't go off the deep end like they, the Disney did or, or whatever studio it was a few years ago when they made the story about the wizard. Um, make a story that's actually just a fresh depiction of the Wizard of Oz. I think you could make some decent remakes now with technology and special effects and a fresh cast. You couldn't appreciate in the old days with the Judy Garland film, it was unobtainable. You couldn't make something that feels like it matches the production standards we have around today. And now you can do that. But that's a very different kind of story. It's a very different kind of film than something that was originally televised, a a, a serial program. 
and ran for multiple se- seasons and feels like it belongs to its time. Really, if you if you're Mr. Smith, what I would like you to do is not make a reboot of the original story, but make a spiritual successor, make an, <laughs> a, a a series inspired by the Prince of Bel Air. Don't make it the Prince of Bel Air because I, I feel like you're uh, you're just going to create an upheaval, an unfortunate upheaval. Well, and it's it's interesting because like when you think of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, you think of Will Smith, and he like he's not even going to be an actor in this uh, thing. Um, and and again, it, it, like like what's the point? What's the point of having Fresh Prince of Bel Air if Will Smith's not the actor in the thing? I just, and really, are the characters that you know special, legendary, significant in our lives that we want to see them redone, remade? Well, see, that's <laughs> the thing. Yeah. It's a like it's a, it's a product of its time, of its time, and it was really fun. But it's not it's not going to be fun now. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think the '90s aspect of it is what makes it. Yeah, what makes it fun? What makes it? funny right. too it just the times the fashions everything it was perfect for the 90s and right, that's right. why everybody who watched it enjoyed it and people enjoy it now because it is nostalgia factor but it's like <laughs> oh it's taking me back to the 90s when i was you know however old and you know watching this kind of stuff and i think that's special about it but yeah if they're rebooting it and just redoing all the characters that's too soon it hasn't even been barely 30 years if that so it's like yeah. not even that well and it's it's really the same thing with full house which we talked about it was either last week or the week before you know it's like it, it's a it's it was great for its time but it's not going to work now but no. what is different about full house is they're trying to carry on the story much That's like true. what we're seeing they're doing with heroes now you've got this uh, story you found the story tj what's this about it's, okay sounds so, interesting did either of you Honestly, watch this is more interesting oh, way more interesting did either of you watch the heroes a few years ago i think it started in 2005 i want to say uh did either of you uh, watch no. that show okay joe did you i watched the first season and a half and I understand what they were accomplishing over the seasons because I read articles about the progression. It was 2006. I was just looking it up. Um, yeah, so I actually watched it front to you know top to bottom, front to back, whatever you want to say. I watched. I all heard of it. that the first season was the only one worth watching. That's not true. That is that is really? absolutely not true. There was some rough patches, as any show has rough patches, but ultimately. I loved that show. It, 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 we know again, you're very forgiving. No, you? I'm not. You know that's not true. <laughs> I I just found the animosity towards it beyond the first season to be baffling um, because it really had some good plot lines and, and art and character arcs that went through uh, season five, honestly. And I, I'm really excited to see what they're doing. I'm a little sad that it's it's not sort of continuing like where they left off, but it's like, hey, we're picking up as if it's been the same amount of time in the real world as there is now. So they're picking up yeah, as I, if it were I season like ten. I like the shtick that they are picking up with a hypothetical scenario five years into the future. Yeah. It, it allows them to breathe some new life into it because – they're not going to have the exact same characters in a uh, a reboot situation. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> it, it reminds me of like what you could do with a video game. I'm not suggesting you do this, but a lot of these serialized video games, they have a franchise. You know, you have the continuing story. <clears throat> uh, friends tell me that the Legend of De- Zelda series is actually all one great big myth. And, uh, you know, there's different timelines that, you know, coincide because there's some time travel but all of these different games build upon the previous story and they'll just leap forward whole several, multiple generations to new characters and play out a, a new story that is a part of the continuing game. 
I think that that's an interesting idea that they never went back and like rewrote the story, re redid the stories, or reboot the stories. And uh, the fans, it, it actually is a bit more like fan service because the fans feel like you're not canceling out the old to present the new. You're building on top of it. So I think it's an it's a f- interesting idea. It actually reminds me somewhat of what we're talking about with the movie we have in review tonight. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So I'm, I'm excited about this. I, I'm some of the stuff that I'm reading in this article. I read it earlier. It's a bit spoilery, so I won't I won't mention it here. I I think that they're going too far in revealing some of this stuff. But some of it's just a little bit like ah, oh, that character's not returning. Oh, that's frustrating. Uh, you know. But but we are getting one of the main characters back. Jack Coleman uh, played. Um, uh, Spoiler alert! Yeah. <laughs> you just gave two very revealing things yourself. I did. <laughs> well, for some people, you know, the sensitive types. I suppose. Spoiler: just say, saying Somebody that, is gone. Saying that a, we know that somebody is gone, and well, B, we know we that know he's that not. He's not going to be in the about. show. That doesn't mean that he or she is not necessarily dead. Anyway, we should move on because Alexis hasn't <laughs> seen the show, and so she can't really talk about this part. And we have her on the show, so we should Alexis, what were you watching if you weren't watching Heroes <laughs> in, um, in 2010? <laughs> Uh, 2010 oh, 2006 six? yeah yeah i was definitely oh, okay. into lost um for sure yeah. and then later moved on to other things pretty much anything jj abrams touches i'll watch Interesting. but yeah the i'm i guess i'm kind of intrigued by heroes mainly because zachary levi is going to be in it and i really like him because chuck was an amazing show and he was awesome in it so i think he'll do good he's He's very supportive of all things nerdy, so I think it might be good if he's in it. We'll see. (laughs) Were you a fan of Alias back in the day? Oh, Alias is my ultimate favorite show of all time. Like interesting, very. I don't think I don't think a show has topped it. (laughs) To be honest, no. Yeah, I agree. It's it's really good classic JJ material, kind of like a young Whedon. This is a young uh, Abrams, and not many people talk about it anymore. No, no, not at all. I do love Alias though. Anyway, I don't want to derail. Oh, no, it's totally fine. That's what we do. The Movie Bite podcast is a podcast about derailing onto other topics. So it's fine. Okay, <laughs> and then our listeners lampoon what we have to say on the show. Yeah. So uh, speaking of getting derailed, let's let's get back on track a little bit, uh, and then we can get derailed again. Uh, we need to talk about uh, Inside Out short film coming this fall. Guys, Inside Out was one of my favorite movies this year so far, and uh, – the, the Pixar does really great short films. There's there's a clip that I'm going to play that, uh, that is an excerpt from this short film having to do with Inside Out, and I think that uh, this will kind of give you an idea of what we're dealing with. Is Riley here? Red alert! Boy. 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 There's a boy mm-hmm. in my house. I knew she was going skating, but I thought it was with her friends. Why is there a boy in my house? This isn't a date, is it? I'll ask Riley. I don't like this. This can't be a date. She's only 12. Let's probe, but layer it with cool words the kids say, so it's not obvious. <laughs> so, what's the dealio with Jordan? OMG, he is awesome sauce. Fo-sheezy. Did she just say faux-sheezy? I don't understand. What's happening? Ugh, this is just embarrassing. I can't. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a clip from the upcoming Pixar short, Riley's First Date. Uh, That's great. Yeah, I think this is going to be pretty fun. There's so many many interesting things, and and it's really interesting 
that I'm thinking this now. There's so many interesting things they can go with, places they can go with this. And my initial thought when I saw the first trailer for this film, and all, even before I saw the film, was like, I don't know where they can go with this. But now having seen the film, it's like the possibilities mm-hmm. are endless. It's such a fantastic film and such a fantastic concept. So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you've seen this film, Alexis. And then, oh yes, yeah. Tw- two times I've loved it very much. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So what do you think, Joe? You think this? It always uh, impresses me. Yeah, it always impresses me how Pixar shorts are, are polished just as well as any of their major films. Yes, just it yes. looks just as good. They bring in the original cast. It hasn't always been this way. If you go way back in time to '95 when they were making the original Toy Story, they couldn't afford to have all the cast for some television spots they made for I think it was the ABC Network and mm-hmm. the Disney Channel. But they had little pieces of the characters, the Toy Story characters in Andy's room doing little gags and skits and stuff like that. And they couldn't afford the original cast. They obviously didn't have the same animators on the job. And they had many little – these little featurettes, these little gags that they would have. And uh, they've come a long way since then. I really appreciate that they they try to represent all of their characters and all their properties in the exact same way no matter what they're making with them now. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah, so so this little uh, short film will be coming along with the Blu-ray release of Inside Out, which will be on October the thirteenth. Um, oh, on digital. Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry, I misread that. Digital and Blu-ray releases. Uh, October the thirteenth for the digital release, and November the third for the Blu-ray release. Uh, so that's interesting. They're doing hmm. the digital release first, uh, but anyway, that's when we'll get to see this short film uh, based on Inside Out's characters. So love that definitely. Yeah, uh, good deal. Yeah, and probably more to come. I'd really love to see more. Uh, there, uh, did I hear that there is already a sequel in the works, or that's in, been there, discussed? There's got to be inside yeah. out. Hmm. I'm sure there is. I, 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 surely they're discussing it, but I don't know if they actually announced anything. Okay, so story. Cinema Blend. I, that was the first thing that came up when I googled it. Um, inside Out is. Da, 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 da. Oh, I'm getting an autoplay video here. That's going to be fun. <laughs> Uh, hmm. Not not what the headline promised there. Uh, Pixar has no plans for Inside Out two. This is according to Screen Rant. Uh, huh. There is no sequel idea for me at this point, and uh, that's Pete Doctor. Um, so apparently not. That's a bummer. Well, I'm going to add something into the outline right now while I'm thinking about Pixar because this was news to us today. We're recording oh, yeah, this a couple yeah, yeah. of days early. Toy Story four. Yeah, this is Take really it. a really interesting big deal. Toy Story four. Uh, plans have been in the works for a very long time and we didn't know much about the story. You know, all the toy stories up to now were basically scenarios where the toys were separated from a child and they were all trying to get back together again and reunite with that child. So with toy story four, were they going to do that again, yet another way? And I felt like they obviously would, but John Lasseter, who we all know and love is saying that they're actually pursuing a different kind of story and I think this is really interesting of them. They want to tell something of a love story between Woody and Bo Peep. And I don't know if that sounds like a prequel or if it sounds like a sequel and they somehow bring the characters back together again. And I, I don't know if I want one or the other. What do y'all think? Go ahead, Alexis. Um, I was, I mean, I'm kind of against making a toy story for simply because the third one ended so perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel like there's like so much cash grabbing with sequels. I can't stand it. Um, I would be against an inside out sequel too, to be honest. Um, The only Pixar film I really wanted a sequel for was the Incredibles because it's my favorite. Um, And I feel like that could actually 
continue on in a story. But I felt like Toy Story had three beautiful films that all came together. It ended perfectly. I don't really see the need to continue other than I feel like it's kind of a cash grab. That's just my two cents though. And that's kind of where I'm at at this point is um, Toy Story ended well. Let's, let's leave it alone. And, and, and you're just, you're tempting fate because Toy Story, I can't pick a favorite because they're all my favorite. Uh, Like I, I like all three of those films and I went in skeptical after the first one, each one I'm just like, okay, Toy Story two. No, they can't do it again. And they did it again. (laughs) Toy Story three. There is no way it's going to be as good. And it was just as good. It was fantastic. And there's, mm-hmm. they, they cannot keep doing it. It's not going to happen. They need to leave it alone now. And so, yes, I'm with you on that. It's it's time to stop. Uh, and so Toy Story 4 certainly feels like a cash grab. You're, you're absolutely right. Because people are going right. to go see yep. it. And yeah. I'm going to go see it. Now, let's make no mistake here. We're, we're all, we're all going to go <laughs> yeah. see it. But here's the, here's the second p- part of this opinion is that I think that this sounds dreadful, this idea. Um, of making it a love story between Woody and Bo Peep. What does that even mean? <laughs> we Okay, so if it's a sequel, we know that Bo Peep was missing completely from Toy Story 3, and like she they made some right. reference to like she got lost or sold or so, something. We don't know. I, at least I don't remember them sp- spelling it out. They did not give any kind of details, so we just don't know. She could have been knocked behind the dresser for all we know. Yes, but well, <laughs> sure, except that toys can move so that, <laughs> um, in this in this world. So is it like the love story is he's trying to find Bo Peep, or is she back, or she got found, or is it a new Bo Peep, or is it a, is it a prequel? Right. Like so many questions, and all of them sound ba- all of them sound so bad. I don't want this. And- yeah, and, and, and it's a little too far. And there's nothing saying either, though, at this point that they're not just sort of dangling something out there and, and teasing us with something that isn't really like, oh, <laughs> what do you think if we do a love story and it's going to be something like it's, it, they're misleading. It could be us. misleading. Yeah, it could be. They could be talking about the next little short that they, that they uh, do, the Toy maybe, Story, maybe. <laughs> but they're probably not. The the and everything. And about saying, what about Finding reasons. Dory? See, now, I'm, I'm not yeah. as down in, in, in general. I'm not as down on sequels no. as you are, Alexis. Um, personally, yeah. I, I think that if anybody can do it well, it's Pixar. I'm super excited for the Incredibles uh, sequel that's coming. Um, oh yeah, and I, and and you know, Pixar's done reasonably well with sequels. Uh, well, hmm. Cars two, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Monsters Inc. was uh, 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 Monsters University. I'm sorry, was was fa- pretty fantastic. You know. Uh, yeah, I like that one a lot. So. Yeah, I would say they do a pretty good job. And I'm I'm a little concerned about Finding Dory too, just because it's like uh, I don't know. Yeah. But, I think it's just more, yeah, the story, there has to be a reason for me. Like, there has to be a reason to have this sequel. Like, if I feel like something ended well, like, ended with a very yep. poignant note, like, Inside Out, I, that's why I'm not really excited for them to make a sequel about it if they ever do, just because I feel like it made its point so beautifully. There's just really no need to go on. See, um, I kind of want one, though, because I enjoyed that <laughs> film so much. And I feel, yeah. like, I feel like there's plenty of ground to be explored there. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, thinking about the, I'm just just thinking about the upgraded console and the whole uh, what's that button, that puberty button, what's that? You know, I mean, there's just so <laughs> many places they can go and so much fun they can have. Yeah, ah, yeah, we'll see. But it, you mm-hmm. know, there's always a potential with a sequel that it could it could go badly. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, um, let's let's move right along. Our last uh, bit of item of interest before we get to our review. And that is that we have a Quentin Tarantino trailer for The Hateful Eight.
got room for one more? That was from the trailer for the upcoming <laughs> Hateful Eight. That was mm-hmm. abrupt. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, it's a Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> it's it's a very Tarantino looking film. I, I, this 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 trailer feels like a a trailer for people who like Tarantino movies and don't care what the plot is. That's because I, I still I I still don't know anything about this movie have, having watched that trailer. It, it feels so Tarantino, and so I still don't know anything about it. What do you guys think? It's interesting. It's funny just looking at the cast. It still says rumored Channing Tatum is in this film. They don't know yet. <laughs> That's yeah. what it says at the top of IMDb. Well, you know, after, still a, lot the not known about the film. after the whole script leak thing and stuff, I'm sure Tarantino is keeping everything pretty close to the vest. Really? Did that happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, shucks. Yeah. See, I, I'm, I'm avoiding that kind of stuff on the web all day long. I, I would have nothing to do with that. <laughs> and as far as I'm concerned, this this trailer is really just a teaser. We don't know much about the story. I'd like to cut it off there. One guarantee, though, this is definitely a Tarantino film. Oh, it's this so Tarantino. It's so him. It's so Tarantino. And you can see that even through his trailers, and that's something that really impresses me. And it's also really great to see – what's his name? Um – Let's see. I want to call him Nathaniel, but no, I think that that was the name of one of his characters. I'm, anyway, I'm not sure who what's his name is, Joe. Uh, Michael Masden? Tim, no, I, I think I'm thinking of Tim Roth, actually. Oh, okay. I, I like that guy in the television show uh, that he was in. Uh, but yeah, it, so, it, it seems like a great cast. Was Django Unchained the last thing he did? It sure, wow, it sure yes. looks like it. Mm-hmm. Mm, nice. It was. Okay, interesting. He's been busy. Uh, Making, writing the I, I story. It, he looks like recovering a, from a yeah. It looks like he has a few <laughs> other writing credits, but not uh, but but not any directing credits. That's interesting. I, I like. Well, you know that word like has it, he's talking about retiring actually after this film. I'm not sure if that's true. <sighs> but doesn't he but, always talk about that? Did he? <laughs> I really he? hope not. I really hope yeah. not. <laughs> I yeah. have not seen nearly enough Quentin Tarantino films. Uh, so. Basically, <laughs> basically, I feel like I've seen one other, but Django Unchained certainly is the one that sticks out in my memory, and I know that's certainly not his best film. So, oh, TJ, please tell me you've seen Kill Bill and two. Uh, two well, two. no, no, not really. What TJ. about Inglorious Bastards? Nope. Sorry. Oh, it's TJ, on, they're on my list. Me. They're on my list. Homework, TJ. Homework. I've got Ta- it. I've got push it. it up to the top. So I take it, Alexis, you like uh, Quentin Tarantino's films? I do. Um, I actually. Like his, like I don't really care for Reservoir Dogs or Jackie Brown, but anything beyond that, I love all the rest of his films. Um, yeah, the, the, those two just didn't really strike me. But like Inglorious Bastards and um, Django Unchained have just the most phenomenal scripts. Like the dialogue, of course, Tarantino's dialogue, even Pulp Fiction, of course, had this too. And uh, the Kill Bill movies are just fantastic. They're so highly stylized, mm, and I'm really mm. excited. I love. His style, I love the way he writes. He just, he's a perfection, or sorry, he's perfection with dialogue. Gotcha. I mean, that's that's a big thing. So, really yes. Is. See, I, yes. when I think of perfection with dialogue, I think of Joss Whedon personally. But um, Well, he's great. I mean, he's the same too, just totally different style. Right, sure. Yeah, writing. absolutely. Much different. I, I liked Django Unchained. I would have rated it much more highly had it not been for the ending, um, which I felt just sort of ran off the rails. I felt like there was a really good movie and then all of a sudden it ran off the rails. <laughs> but I, I'm given to understand that that's a little bit just the way Quentin Tarantino is. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. Whatever I, I think about Tarantino, what I think about is brilliant theatricality. I wouldn't call it sensational. Like I think a lot of people might interpret it where his things are so fantastic and grandiose and in your face. What it really is is just like brilliant 
uh, pretentiousness that doesn't seem in your face in a bad way. Like it actually works well. Mm-hmm. He makes things bigger than life and in, in such a way that's very appealing and interesting to tell a story. Well, I mean, it works so well, like with Django Unchained, where yes, it's over the top and it's it's very stylized and and but but you it's it's so memorable. Like, it doesn't lose its heart. It doesn't lose its oh, no, heart not at in all. the process. I, I, Django That's Unchained why it works. had so much heart. I mean, think think of the character, like, yeah. you know, Django and uh, I'm sorry, what was the uh, the German guy? Ah, boy, it's been too long. I need to see it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Christoph Waltz. Homework, TJ. Doctor mm-hmm. Schultz. Getting longer. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I have I have some work to do to catch up on some Quentin Tarantino stuff. So I, yes. I will I will make that my homework. Uh, so we'll we'll I'll, I'll get around to that. Maybe maybe by the time we <laughs> get into the reboot of this show in a few months, uh, I'll have watched. Oh some dear, Tarantino films. Oh, <laughs> I just realized how meta that is. Here we were ranting against all the reboots. Oh dear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. Well, um, so I think it's time for us to move on and review a film that we're all anxious to get to, Mister Holmes. <laughs> name is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Was that him? My mother, she wonders if you have brought your famous hat. The deer stalker. I've never worn one. And a pipe? I prefer a cigar. Did you do the thing? <laughs> the cane shows the marks of a dog's teeth. The wood is from an island southwest of Madeira. That thing. That was an embellishment of Dr. Watson. That was from the uh, film Mr. Holmes uh, that is currently in theaters, uh, a few theaters anyway, not all theaters. It's not actually in my local theater. I had to go uh, all the way up to Franklin. It was like, a, I don't know, 15 miles or something. Goodness. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Thank you for your personal sacrifices, yes, TJ. Yes, It was released <laughs> on July the 17th, 2015. It has a current worldwide gross of $13.4 million. We don't know that the budget, or at least I have not been able to find the budget of this film. Um, The critic consensus from Rotten Tomatoes is Mr. Holmes focuses on the man behind the mysteries, and while it may lack uh, Baker Street thrills, it more than compensates with tenderly wrought, well-acted drama. The director was Bill Condon. He's directed such things as Twilight, (laughs) Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Writers were Mitch Cullen. Uh, He wrote the novel A Slight Trick of the Mind, and he uh, also co-wrote the screenplay with Jeffrey Hatcher. Uh, and of course, Arthur Conan Doyle uh, it wrote the original novels, and so the characters are based on his uh, original novels. The stars of this film are Ian McKellen, uh, Laura Lin- Linney, uh, Milo Parker, oh boy, this name, Hiroyuki Sanada, it's obviously uh, uh, Japanese, <laughs> uh, Hattie Morahan, and Patrick Kennedy. The composer was Carter Burwell. And Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story? Okay, here's what we got. The story is set in 1947, following a long-retired Holmes. Holmes is living in Sussex, along with his housekeeper and her son. But then he finds himself haunted by an unsolved 30-year-old case. (laughs) Holmes' memory isn't what it used to be, so he only remembers fragments of the case, a confrontation with an angry husband, a secret bond with his beautiful but unstable wife. Yeah, we need a copywriter for these kinds of things, people. Hollywood, get cracking on that. IMDb mm. has a lot of beautiful imagery, and uh, you really make your movies look good. But if anybody would stop to read your your uh, outlines and you know storylines, <laughs> they look terrible. 
All right, so yeah. let's let's dive in here. Uh, let, let's 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 get into some general things. Alexis, do you have any uh, thoughts or comments or opening statements that you'd like to make? Or I, I don't know. What, what do you got for us? What do you think about this? <laughs> opening <film>? statements. <laughs> well, um, I I'm a fan. I'm a Sherlock Holmes fan for sure. Um, not as much as my cousin who is pretty much obsessed with all things Sherlock Holmes, and she's very much into the everything needs to be canon with the novels. Oh, no. So she's very, very, <laughs> very particular about Sherlock Holmes stuff. So I learn a lot of things from her. I mean, I've read some of them too myself and I've watched a lot of renditions. I particularly love Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal, yes. but that's just me. Yes. So. No, I do too. <laughs> For sure. And Guy Ritchie. But this, um, this film was, was, it was a good film. I don't feel like it was a good Sherlock Holmes film, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally I, it does. <laughs> yeah, I just felt it wasn't, um, completely in line with the canon, um, the way it should be. And it was a little bit, um, ambiguous with some of the emotional things that happened in it, but, mm. I really, I really liked it as a film. Like I still, I still thought some parts of it were really, really good and moving. And, um, I did really like that, but I just felt like as far as a Sherlock story is concerned, it kind of lacked something. It's kind of hard to explain what that is though. Yeah. So, and, and one thing that we should touch on too, is just, uh, you've already kind of touched on it, which is kind of our general feelings about Sherlock and where we're coming from. Um, and I, I certainly agree with you that I really like the Guy Ritchie films. I really like Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of, of Sherlock, although it's, I, I guess it would be a little unorthodox, I, I, I would assume. Um, his portrayal of, of Sherlock had oh, a very little, much. Yeah, 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 a little. I, I don't think it's way off course, but it's Guy Ritchie's version. Yeah. And, and Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's pretty on, I think it's pretty on par. Like a lot of the things he does in the film are things they do that, Sherlock hasn't been known to do in the books. How do we all feel about Cumberbatch? No, oh, really? Uh, we're not reviewing that man. He's not in this film. <laughs> no, but he plays <laughs> Sherlock. The way that you introduced him, I would have thought that he was actually the the real Sherlock Holmes. Like, oh, what do we think you about completely the completely derailed Sherlock? where I was going, Joe? I'm, oh, I'm, no. I'm, I'm dropping a marker. I'm cutting this out. This is ridiculous. What, answer what my qu- answer my question. How do we all feel about Sherlock's Cumber Cumberbatch's Sherlock? <laughs> I love him. I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to get I, I general really appreciate thoughts the series. out here. Oh, okay. I'm not fond of him. I think he's oh, way no. off canon. Oh, no. Well, yeah. of course he is. I mean, the whole thing's off canon. That's the point. He just really... Um, I, cool. Okay, first of all, I love Benedict Cumberbatch, and I love... Um, oh, my gosh. Martin Freeman just yes, drew a huge yes. blank. I, there's a lot of things about the Sherlock show, though, that I really dislike. Interesting. Um, you may be the first person I've ever heard say that in my life. I know. And I and I actually watch Elementary on CBS, and that show's phenomenal. But it's not the same. Like, they're not trying to redo Sherlock stories the way that the Sherlock show is. It's a little bit different. Um, I really love Elementary. It's excellent. Um, and it stays pretty true to canon as far as the um the spirit of the character but cumberbatch he just goes wild like i've seen a few scenes where he just like screams and goes crazy and i just to sure. me that's not <laughs> to me that's not sherlock sherlock right. is still a gentleman and like my cousin sent me this gif of him screaming i need a case <laughs> and she's like what is this like i'm like, I, I agreed with her i was like this is ridiculous like he just looks like he's having a violent fit and it just does not seem <laughs> on par and then i guess like didn't he like approach uh the parliament in his underwear or something in the show like 
something. Yes, he was like, naked inside the, yeah, the, the like the palace for ridiculous. some reason because he was trying to get something out of his brother or Scotland Yard. Yeah, well, okay, that's uh, so, ridiculous. But I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to point out. I have to take issue with you here. I, I, I love Sherlock, uh, BBC Sherlock with Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. But why do you like it? But I mean, it's, what's, it's what's because it's offensive? unorthodox. It's because it's like it's a. It's okay. a, let, let's 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 do something cool and different with the story. Let, let's make it See, something that, different. That's how I feel about the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock films. Sure, they are all about the unorthodox, and they're yeah. set in the original era, perhaps that Sherlock's stories were written. But they are totally unorthodox to me because they're written more as like action thriller stories yeah. rather than suspense detective stories. Yes, so stylistically true. has this um, this emphasis on invoking uh, thrills. And for me, that just feels completely uncharacteristic of Sherlock, even if the stories are more faithful to the material in the books in other ways. So for me, the one that's incongruous is Robert Downey Jr.'s films. I I wish there was a way in which the films could be completely unrelated to Sherlock. Just say that it's Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law (laughs) in a a, a completely different detective's story set in that era and call them something else. And then I'd be happy. But because you had to go and call them Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson – it, it feels like just a money grab with big names attached. Interesting. So I, I have to be honest, though, with you, Joe, and and that it, I I love Cumberbatch and, as Sherlock, but if I had to choose between the you know the show or the the two movies that we have, I would pick the two movies every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like I'll win points with you there, Alexis. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree, and they're my personal um my personal favorite renditions for sure. I just really, I'm, I hope that they get going with Sherlock Holmes three, which is supposed to be coming out sometime, but it's been up in the air for so long. It's kind of depressing. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, that, I feel like Robert Downey Jr. is just probably really busy right now. That's, that's true. I mean, Avengers does take up a lot of your time slash. I know he, just re- <laughs> he recently had a baby too. Pulling out the Avengers excuse again. I mean, come on. So they say, Jeez. <laughs> No. You know, actually, my favorite Sherlock Holmes is not any of the modern films or television shows. My favorite would be Basil Rathbone's, the black and white films, the classics. Oh, really? There were, yeah, there were many of them. I think there was like 9, 10, or 11 of the films with Basil Rathbone. And even mm-hmm. if they made Dr. Watson very campy for comical relief throughout the series, I felt like it's uh, the films as a collection are old enough that they feel so nostalgic to me. It's like a visual depiction of what were in the novels. But I know that that's not true because they were highly Americanized to appeal to the audiences at the time. So in many ways, they were like American caricatures of what Sherlock Holmes might be like. And to American audiences at the time, they didn't know better. They hadn't a lot of experience seeing English culture, you know, up, you know, close and, you know, you know, that that well. So they didn't know that it wasn't especially authentically English. If, speaking of English and auth- authenticity, I think that perhaps that was where this kind of film really excels, Mr. Holmes, because this was, a, I guess, a production of the BBC. And I, I guess it, it just lends itself with the source material 
to be more tra- like traditionally a British story. Mm. And that it might be one of the reasons why we have a harder time relating to it. It's like in, in all of our discussion, the last few minutes, none of us said, Oh, Mr. Holmes, it's right up there with my, the depictions with Robert Downey Jr. We're, we, we are putting it in a completely different box. We, we've yes. categorized it away, but, but yeah. it's almost as if we're not talking about the same characters. And yet we technically are. Well, for my part, it was mostly just I wanted to get perspective, you know, on kind of where we all are at with Sherlock. So, nice. yeah. Uh, yeah, good, good. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that helps under, you know, kind of get everybody to understand where each of us are coming from. Um, one thing that I was curious about is what kind of was the impetus to make this film? Like, where, where did this film come from? Who who wanted to make it? I, I don't quite understand where it came from because it's not a it's not a sequel to anything. It's not starting anything. It's kind of at the end of the story. Like, and I know it's a novel that's already out there, but like. Who decided? I mean, I just I don't I don't understand how this decided to get made. is is kind of weird to me. What do you guys think? Hmm. British uh, period piece films tend to do really well, especially in the art you know the art district of yeah. filmmaking. So I think it's that for sure, and it, it is based on a book. But Sherlock Holmes is very a very popular subject because. We had the films, we have the two television shows surrounding it. And then there, before that, there was the Jeremy Brett television show. And he was really good, too. Um, he was a great Holmes. So there's a lot of there's a lot of history. But lately, it's been like a big topic, you know. Yeah. So um, mainly because of Sherlock, the BBC Sherlock, for sure, because that's definitely really, really like has a huge fan base. Yes. Yes. So you think it just has to do with the general the general interest surrounding Sherlock these days? Yeah, definitely. And and then just the fact that, yeah, period piece films tend to do really well in the artistic circles. So yeah. that might be another right. reason. Yeah, this film should have a very long shelf life, mm. unlike many other films, other adaptations. I would imagine in a completely different way that this would be considered already a huge success with its uh, target audience. Yeah, it is definitely. Yeah. Um, it got good reviews. And it is interesting. Well, while I don't quite understand just kind of where this like, oh, let's just make a Sherlock Holmes film at the end of his life that's not really connected to anything else. At the same time, it is kind of interesting how it just it builds on the character and the mythos and it doesn't, you know, follow up specifically any one film or incarnation of Sherlock. Um, you know, it, it really just kind of it, it's part of the lore of Sherlock, you might say, but it's not it's not like, oh, it's following up on this specific canon or that, you know, it's just kind of like. And at the end of all that, this is the, this is the thing that happened to him, sort of thing. So it's an interesting approach. Um, it, yeah, it definitely feels like a retirement story. You know, you're seeing this man in his late years. It, it brought to mind Carl Fredrickson and the Pixar's Up. That yeah, there's for not sure. a lot you can do without going the sensational route to give him an action story. So they deviated from that course. Because it just doesn't make any sense if you're going with the, the literary approach. You know, they're basing this off of the book, and I don't know how faithful it is to the book, but my guess is that no one ever dreamt of telling this story any other way. They weren't going to try and turn this into a true detective story that would mean, you know, for some reason that Sherlock Holmes in his old age would be uh, confronting villainy. You know, face to face, it does. It just wouldn't add up. It wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't have happened during that era. So nobody would have gone into the writing room with that expectation. If they were going to tell the story about Sherlock Holmes in his old age, it would look something like this. Even if it wasn't this story, it would be about an old man just uh, you know asking himself, "Do I actually want to smoke a cigar today? Because it might be the last thing I ever do." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Um 
the point the film was trying to make, I mean, what I got from it is just showing um, Sherlock's regret for his own personal nature and how he is and how analytical he is and how that divides him from people on a personal level. So what, you know, what happens with that woman, you know, there's a tragedy involved in all this stuff that he's trying to figure out. Um, you know, it often, oftentimes his issues with people root from that fact that he's just, he's so analytical, so introverted. And so, you know, in his own mind, trying to figure things out that he oftentimes forsakes relationships and that that's something in his later years, he, he might come to regret. So the film explores that a lot or explores that a lot. And then through the woman's son to his relationship with him um, and kind of that encouragement that goes on between them. Um, the only thing in the film that I thought was like really particularly jarring was, you know, they make it seem like him and Watson don't, you know, oh, they just, they had a falling out and that was the end of it. I don't believe that would ever happen in a thousand no. million years. Never. And <laughs> that right. just really, that derailed me from like for a second from the film. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. It took me right out of it. Cause I don't believe that. Well, I, I was, I was confused <laughs> about whether that had, it was a falling out or whether, whether uh, Watson had died. Uh, my, my perception at, some, at certain points was that he had died, but I could well, be wrong. He, he did die. But when they, the, he, they mentioned that they had, um, the last time they saw each other, they had a falling out and never spoke again. And I just think that's hmm. that's unbelievable I don't for those two. Interesting. I don't remember that because I thought he's <laughs> like he just got married and he kind of drifted off or whatever. But it, it could be. You I might were taking I'm, a, a little I'm, bit of a snooze there. Huh, I might have missed it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah. but I think you know uh, one of the things that's interesting is is that you know all this stuff that we're talking about makes assumptions about the Holmes character because it, mm-hmm. we, because Holmes is so popular lately and because we have the films and the lore and everything everybody's already familiar with kind of the character that that Holmes is he's kind of irascible and cerebral and clinical and uh, y- you know so we already know that about Holmes and this films is exploring those things and it never t- it doesn't have to take the time to tell you, oh, this is the way Holmes was until a certain point, and, and now people, you know, now he's kind of a hermit, and nobody really cares about him, because he, you know, nobody, he never he never took the time to form these these bonds and relationships with people. We we kind of understand that that he, he, he was that, you know, irascible, cerebral kind of person, and very introverted that way already, and so mm-hmm. this film makes great use of what we already know about Holmes, and not repeating that kind of history. I, I found yeah. that to be really a really great aspect of this film. I really hate it when films they they, they treat. I, I hate it when they treat their audience like babies. You know, it's like you we, yep. we got to explain every little bit of this. So yeah, I agree. I mean, that. it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the things that uh, were unique and standing out in this film, I, I felt that even if it wasn't a, a part of the mystery, the relationship between Sherlock and Roger was mm-hmm. very unique yes. because I can't say that I recall any particular story where Sherlock had a connection and an ongoing working relationship with a child of any kind. Can y'all? No, I certainly can't. No. And, and, and so part of me was wondering like, where would they materialize that story and where would it go for the rest of the film and would it feel believable? And I think that they pulled it off. It, it made a lot of sense by the end of the film that the, it, they just fit together like Roger, in many ways, was Sherlock's fan, but he was also very respectful towards his idol, the Detective Holmes, and treated him uh, you know, with acts of kindness that warmed Holmes up to him in such a way where Sherlock also never like 
uh, treated him like the bitter old man Carl Fredrickson would in a cheesy sort of way. Sherlock, you know, in his own reasoned, uh, seasoned sort of way, I think was more open and congenial towards Roger because he just, he, as a lonely man, no matter how intelligent you are and how much you, you enjoy the, the, the sound of the, the voices in your own head because your thoughts are brilliant, even in your old age, <laughs> this old man has to be like recognizing how utterly alone he is in this age. And even his, you know, housekeeper is kind of giving him the cold shoulder at times and making him feel like he's not an outcast, but like uh, he's a burden. And here Roger never treats him like he's a burden. You know, Roger uh, treats him like he is the classic, uh, uh, timeless, brilliant detective. And that's how he wants to be remembered, even if he's feebly, you know, walking up the hill you know, just taking care of bees and can, you know, hardly lift his hands and, you know, straighten his back. Yeah. I, I, I definitely love the relationship between, uh, you know, Sherlock and Roger. It was, it was quite fantastic and quite compelling. And, and I think it, that may be the sort of thing, um, that you're referring to Alexis, where it, it, feels, yeah. it doesn't feel like a Sherlock film because Sherlock would no, not form doesn't. these, these types of relationships. And right, he would have I never would, formed would, this relationship at another time of his life. Right, I that's, see it. that's where I kind of uh, disagree a little bit with what you said earlier, Alexis, where it's like, well, it doesn't feel like a Holmes film because Holmes wouldn't do this. Um, y- yes, um, the Holmes that we know wouldn't, but we've never seen Holmes at this age ha- having gone through all his life experiences like this. And I think that this is a an interesting exploration of that. And so that's one of the reasons why I, I, just, I really love this relationship that Holmes forms with Roger. He sees something in Roger – that he wants to nurture and he wants to push him in, in, in the right directions. And I, I think it's really fantastic. I just, I, 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 lo- I love everything that they did there. I love the tension between him and his mother and, you know, his disdain for the fact that she can barely read and wanting to better himself. And, and it's like, it's, 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 it's an uncanny kind of experience. Who hasn't felt that? I, I mean, maybe I'm revealing something about myself, but who hasn't at some point in their life felt that, well, I want something different from from this thing that I had growing up or from what I saw in my parents. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that we've all felt that. And so you can see a little bit of that of yourself in in the Roger character there. Yeah. Um, and then you see the tension in her where she's once better for her son. And yet she has this, well, it's good enough for me and I'm making it through life. And and so there's this tension of balance there between her and, and, and Roger. So a really fantastic, well done relationship in that way. I, I, I love that whole bit in this film. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, I definitely didn't think that was the Roger relationship was the heart of the movie. I didn't think that was the part that seemed unholmesian, if that's a phrase. It was more, I'm more referring to, yeah, like the fact um, that he's so disconnected from the rest of his life, like, and that the Watson thing, the way that played out, I wasn't really Mm -hmm. fond of that because Watson is such a huge part of Sherlock that I think he needed a stronger presence in the film rather than right. they kind of, it just kind of felt like they just dismissed him. Like, and they, they had really a falling did. out the end. <laughs> like yeah, they don't show his face. Too, yeah. He doesn't have one line of dialogue. Mm. He, 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 yeah. You don't really get to see that anything ha- that happens in the film was influenced by, well, indirectly influenced, but nothing directly influenced by Watson's actions because he is literally missing from the story. He, the only appearances are, you know, deep recessed memories that Holmes digs up while he's trying to take care of his, you know, present case. And you're right, Alexis. It felt like it didn't make any sense. I kept thinking it, when they would bring up Watson in memory, 
that they were going to lead into some sort of like a subplot and show us some scenes unfolding with Watson. And it may have something to do with the, the, the actual, uh, you know, murder or suspenseful case, that last case that, uh, that Holmes was working on when he retired, I thought, Oh, okay. Watson's going to, you know, come into the story unexpectedly like he did in so many other, you know, Sherlock Holmes stories. He'll come out of the blue because Watson, you know, sometimes leaves Holmes. He kind of uh, quits the responsibilities he has with Mr. Holmes and then he returns because he, he really misses the adventures and the stories and he wants to write one more book. And, uh, and I thought that that might happen, but then no, it has never materialized that way. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then there was also the aspect that um, Watson to me kind of felt like almost like a negative presence as far as whenever he's remembered, it's just like, oh, well, he embellished all my stories or, you know, <laughs> oh, yes. he he did this or that. But it's always like, oh, yeah, this was all just made up by Watson. And like any kind of memories of Watson kind of just didn't have as much of a positive. Like, yeah, yeah they, it didn't have that that feeling Sherlock would feel about his his very best friend. You know, like that's, you know, they even though his, the way he treats him is like kind of harsh and, you know, they always have had kind of a rocky relationship. Like those two would die for each other. And that's not the kind of feeling I got when they referred Watson or referred to Watson. Sorry. Um, I just kind of felt like he was just like, Oh, he was someone in my life and now he's gone. The end. There just wasn't a heaviness like that. What you would feel if Watson was gone from Sherlock's life. I just, I don't know. Maybe they were just being really cheap and didn't want to cast a Watson. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I was going to yeah. mention they, they went to great lengths to not show his face at all. Like they would show his hands and him walking in and they were, it's just like, they definitely, it definitely stood out. I would agree. It's like the BBC what? has done that sort of thing before and it pays off in some of their stories when they, they're mixing up a little bit of like artistic style and the, the, it, it works at times, but in this case, yeah, it doesn't pay off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I definitely see where you're coming from. So, uh, fair point, fair point for sure. <laughs> so, um, we, we need to talk about Ian McKellen in this role of Sherlock. Uh, he was far better than I imagined. I just could not see him in the role of Sherlock. Uh, when I, you know, was, you know, before leading up to this movie and seeing the trailers and stuff, I just couldn't imagine it working. Uh, but when, you know, actually watching the film, I was, uh, amazed. I, I, and I shouldn't have been because Ian McKellen, right? He can, he can act. <laughs> he's a yes. actor too. Um, yes. So he, boy, he, I know he's getting on up there in years, but it was so shocking to see him in that old, you know, stooped posture and just the, the, the very realistic makeup that made him look much older even than, than, well, I don't know how old he is these days, but he doesn't look yeah. that old and, and he made him look so much older. And by the same token, he really, looked the part when he was younger as well 30 years younger um yeah so and all this stuff i felt like uh he brought a kind of a humanizing presence to Holmes that we really haven't seen at least not in any of our modern incarnations so really really loved him in the role yeah i agree i was wondering half of the film if he was wearing a prosthetic nose again (laughs) but i guess it wasn't (laughs) no idea oh yeah kind of like uh like how he did for gandalf (laughs) i guess (laughs) but um, with the prosthetics. Oh, okay. Yeah, that. I see. Yeah. Cause he had a, he had a, a big prosthetic nose in that. I think they gave him prosthetic ears as well. Um, but yeah, he, I was amazed too by how he looked so different in all the scenes between flashback to present. And you could tell that they did put makeup on him to look even older 
And I, I was pretty shocked as well, just how he carried both of those time periods of himself so well. It was just really well done. It had a lot to do with the grovelly voice. You know, he was working on that. That was part of his performance. He was yeah. saying in an interview how he would kind of like recess his voice to the back of his mouth and he would try to project it to the back of his head rather than to the front of his head when he was trying to be an older man. And it, yeah. it definitely worked for an already great voice to take it to that direction. Definitely made him seem all the older. He's just at the right age, apparently. Uh, I, just, I was just looking it up. He's 76. So he's just at that right age where he can – he can kind of play the part much older if he, as he needs to, or he can still, you know, be spry enough to play it a little younger. Uh, it, it just yes. works so well. So fantastic. Did you notice casting. too, as and one of the things I liked about the performance was how when Holmes would be really engrossed in something that was happening, it seemed like some of his youthfulness was brought back to him. He wasn't exactly young again, but like he, he was just younger in terms of his spirit. He mm-hmm. got lively at times when he was working with Roger yes. or when yes. you saw him working on the case. And then at other times when he was just having a bad day and he was already spiraling down into many unfortunate little events that were just eating at him and messing him up and making it difficult for him to concentrate and keep his flow. He, he really seemed like he was overwhelmed by the little things like much like you would expect from a real human being mm-hmm. and how, how they would handle d- difficult circumstances, similar in, in similar circumstances. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, one of the things too, that I really loved about this uh, story was kind of the exploration of, of, of the, of the, you know, this man who's had this really sharp intellect and he's been so self-sufficient and, you know, he's obviously Sherlock Holmes. And, and yeah. so he, he's he losing had, his uh, one superpower. He, he had a command, uh, a commanding presence throughout all of his life. And now he's like losing his faculties and his memory. And it just, you know, the exploration of what that must be like for him. Uh, again, it's, it's a very humanizing note for the character in a way that we haven't seen before. And, and that's, that's the sort of thing where I, when I say it's a little bit unorthodox, but I still like it. Um, you know, it's, it's, this is not Sherlock Holmes the way we've ever seen him, but it's still a fantastic exploration of that character at a different stage in his life. Um, you know, and, yeah, and, and speaking agree. of the humanizing, you know, where it, it, you know, he's, he's trying to, he's realizing as he remembers his last case that he could have and should have done more to save the the woman. And instead he was so clinical and sterile and, and, you know, it's just this realization. I was not all I could have been. I didn't do all I could have done. Uh, it just, mm-hmm. just a, a really uh, at the core, I think is the reason I like this film. Like you said earlier, Alexis is because of the story, whether, whether it feels Holmesian or not, it, it's a, it's a fantastic story that they're telling. Um, and yes. I, I thought it worked really well. Now, do you yeah, think I it's agree. the kind of story, though, that you could revisit because you enjoyed it well enough? Or does it feel mm. like it was solid for a single viewing? Mm. I, I kind of think it's falling in it into the second camp. For myself, I think that I will revisit it, but it'll need to be a few years. Like, I'll need to let it get dusty so that I can relive it again. It, it's a sort of story that works the best as you're trying to figure out with him what what did happen on that last case why 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 did i quit you know yeah once your own forgetfulness can settle in then uh then you can be yes. along for the ride yes. you can appreciate his frustrations <laughs> what, what do you think alexis um i think definitely for me it was good with one viewing um i feel like i really got out of it what i needed to as a viewer but also just yeah like it the parts that appealed to me really did stick with me i think another part of his 
memory loss that we were discussing is I think a lot of it was goes a little bit more psychological with him maybe blocking out the memory of that because he feels guilt. And I think so part of Mm -hmm. it could have been he's losing his memory because he's growing older. And then other part is he's fighting against it because he doesn't want to remember what he did. Um, A lot of people go through that um, Mm. (laughs) when they have traumatic memories they feel guilty for. So I think that was part of it too, is you're, you're trying to figure it out with him because he's frustrated losing his memory, but you also want him to overcome whatever he's trying to block so he can move on basically. Yeah. Well, and there's even a part where it's played like that, where he's like, no, no, that can't be right. That's not the way that happened. You know, (laughs) he's remembering it, but it's not, he's, he knows that can't be right. Uh, so Mm -hmm. yeah, there's definitely that aspect as well. I I had that thought too. It's like, there's very much a psychological thing here where yes, his memory is failing and the things that are be are failing also, you know, first are the things he wants to forget. (laughs) So yes, absolutely. uh, For sure. Um, I really loved, uh, the way all three of the storylines intertwine. That, that's one thing we haven't really mentioned yet is that there's really kind of three storylines going on simultaneously here and they all kind of interweave together. Uh, and, and they, they form this kind of thread, you know, once, once it's, once it's, uh, finished, you realize there's not three storylines going on. There's one, uh, and they've mm-hmm. kind of been weaved together. And I really loved the way that that came together. Uh, even if it was a little rocky at patches, uh, we can get into that when we talk about the things we might not have liked about this film. That some of the transitions were a little rocky, but overall, like the way that the storylines were woven into one story by the by the time this film was finished, worked really well. I'm I'm in general, I, I feel like nonlinear storytelling is. It's not that I don't like it; it's that it's often done so poorly. And and for the mm-hmm. most part, I was happy with it here in this film. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Um, all those three stories kind of, they all pointed to the same direction with Holmes and his discovery about himself. Mm-hmm. So I think they were all very significant. Like they didn't feel like, Oh, this was pointless. You know, it, they all kind of had the same point that they were trying to make. So yes, I thought it was good. Yeah, I was for sure. I have uh, one more thing that I want to mention. And then Joe, I know you probably have some things and maybe Alexis, you as well. But the, the one more thing that I want to mention that I liked about this film is I, I really uh, loved the pacing and I love the fact that it was not a summer blockbuster. It, 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 the utter lack of urgency is what I wrote in my notes here. Um, there, yes. there, this, this film had no big, you know, Oh, we got to do this thing or somebody's going to die. Well, you know, Following the templates. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those things are fine. Uh, you know, again, I, I love Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes, and it certainly had those, you know, urgent elements in the film, but this film had none of that. It was all about the story and the character, and I love those films too. Uh, so that this, that I love that about this film. And, and maybe that's, that's one of the things that, that makes me kind of overlook any of its more major flaws as I, when we get to the ratings and, and I give it my higher rating. Um, uh, it will be because this is a, 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 a wonderful film to come to in the midst of all your summer blockbuster action films. Mm. Yes, definitely. The one thing uh, on that note is that we don't see that many dramas in theaters anymore. Not in America anyway, not in my part of the country. Do y'all notice that? It just seems like everything is yeah. some other genre based kind of story. And when there is a drama, you're really wary of it. You don't know what to expect because nobody's talking about it. It doesn't have nearly as much marketing as other genre-based films. And then, I don't know, I just find that a lot of dramas today are 
uh, kind of depressing. Like after uh, they're all done, said and done, I want to go home and watch how you met, met your mother again. I just to, to liven things up again. It's just kind of sad. Um, and I didn't feel that way towards this film. This was a drama that didn't feel like in order to be taken seriously, they had to leave you down in the dumps, even though they dealt with some very serious issues. And I felt like they could have ended the story at different place at places in the film and left it with a different tone. They, they chose to ultimately leave it on an upbeat so that um, it didn't feel so icky when it, it could have in other ways if they had taken it in different directions. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember um, the name of that film that I am so sad that I cannot remember right now because it was such a fantastic film, and it's killing me that I can't remember. But it was, the last time I felt the way I feel about this film was about that film. It was a 2014 film, a little girl in World War II. Why is it escaping my memory? That is so oh, frustrating. Oh, the book thief. The book, yes, the book thief. Thank you. That was that's a, so I feel very similarly about that film as I do this film in terms of tone. Not, obviously, the story is quite different, but in terms of tone and and kind of not a lot of action and, and things. So I I feel that that's the last time I felt this way about a film. So uh, yeah, uh, one of my other likes about the film was just how sort of like underplayed all of the production qualities were. And this is very characteristic of British films and the BBC have mastered this over the years where they allow the, the, the cinematography, the soundtrack and other production values to just sort of like fade into the background so that it's easier to pay attention to these things that really matter to us. Like that we we've already been addressing the things that were on the forefront of our minds were the character performances, the, the, all the total, some total of the story and bits and scenes of the film. I feel like in our mind's eye, we can picture them the way that we would want because it's it, because there wasn't a lot about the production standards, the, this, the engineering, the, you know, there wasn't a lot of stylistic choices that hamper how we can interpret the film for ourselves. We see it more as like memories in real life. For instance, just think about like um, a lot of period films these days are automatically f- given filter effects to look like they're uh, old fashioned video f- or film footage. You know, they have a sepia tone quality to them or they're colorized in other ways to feel overly um, old fashioned and uh, older and grainy, a little bit of desaturation to the color. Uh, this didn't feel like they, they did that at all. If something had color, they depicted the color the way it would have been. And then if something seemed subdued, it was just because that was the way that, for instance, maybe that woman's dress was originally made in that color and didn't feel like mm-hmm. there were any stylistic choices that were trying to paint the picture to look like, uh, you know, something artificially r- retro or historical. If I mean, yeah. like. You know, like when you're uh, when you were growing up in our day and age, even in the '80s, there were still enough black and white movies floating around that, as a child, you you would actually begin to wonder: Was the world black and white at one time? Because <laughs> there were so many of them, and you would see them that way. And you know, when you're like really young, you're four or five years old, you're kind of like, "Oh, I'm so glad I wasn't around when my parents were growing up." And you know, that kind of feeling you get when you see these other stylized films that are trying to, you know, they're period films. They try to present some coloristic choices that say, oh, this is a different era. And you can tell just by the color that makes it feel old. I, I'm very glad that the BBC is was wary of such gimmicks. Yeah, I agree. 
One thing that I noticed is that the film was very sunny. Oh yeah. Huh. That's a good point. A lot of light. Like it kind of didn't have the, the Baker street tone, which is, you know, grimy, gritty, London, dark, you know, it was in the countryside and it was very sunny and bright and cheery almost. And so that also kind of took from the, the Holmesian tone. Cause when you think of Holmes, you definitely don't think of sunny, bright and cheery. Mm. <laughs> so I think that was kind of like, maybe that kind of threw it off a little bit too, for me, just the, the setting being in the countryside, mm. it takes you out of the, the Holmes element of being on Baker street or just being in the city and being in the grimy grit, you know, that kind of thing when you think of the detective work. So that was just something I know King of color and light. Yeah, that's a very good point. If you notice throughout most of the film, there weren't that many nighttime scenes. And when they were in the city, they, they didn't have all that much in the way of like artificial light. Like, I mean, I know like in the, in the time they didn't have artificial light. They, they may have had some very early uh, like light bulbs, but I, I can't think of any, anything like that in the film. Everything was lit by lanterns or from the, uh, the, the light from the sun through the windows and you, and you saw that consistently mm-hmm. throughout the film up at uh, his home and in and out of his home, in the kitchens, the bedrooms, his study area, that there was plenty of sunlight bathing the interiors as well. And you're right, that, that does totally feel like it's in a different part of the world that homes didn't originally belong in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, I wanted to address one of my, not like disappointments or real real dislikes for a film like this, but it is true about these kinds of films that um, is being as British as it is because it is a a BBC production and it feels very much like, uh, well, it feels like something that the BBC has been producing for the last two or three decades. Now they have a well-oiled machine where they tell these uh, classic literary like stories in such a Mm. way that Mm -hmm. it sort of has its own template to it. Where it's it's very dry, which isn't a bad thing for a British story. I really enjoy some of that sort of personality and humor along the way and how it characterizes and paints all of their behavior at times. But it just feels like it adds some some un, unintentional or, or unnecessary dullness to things at times. What did y'all think? Did it feel like they could have at times made it a little bit more lively or changed the pace a little bit so that at moments – you weren't tempted to feel bored. Mm, I never felt bored. I, I, I'm not going to go there with you. I'm not saying <laughs> I was bored, bored. I'm just saying if I wasn't really trying, it'd have been easy to have been distracted I'm, and, you know, let my mind wander. I'm going to go out on a limb here and see if Alexis will back me up. I, I'm, I'm not with you, Joe. Well, I think the pacing was a little slow, but I didn't feel bored at all by it. I think, I think it was just more because the story is so simple that the pacing just felt a little slow because of how the story didn't have a lot of complicated, you know, subplot and all that kind of stuff. But I thought, I mean, I thought it was, I don't know, to me, I felt completely engaged, even though it did have like a slower pace to it. Yes. Mm. At no point did I feel that the story was moving too slowly or was not engaging me or that, or that something could have been done differently to, to help the story along in that way. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying it was on on the edge. It was not becoming an issue. It was just very close to becoming an issue. Mm. Okay. Well, maybe those are the best kinds of films when they're right on the edge of, of, of something you don't like. <laughs> I don't know. So we're kind of heading there anyway. Do we want to talk a little bit about any dislikes or disappointments that we had quickly? I don't feel like there's many that I have, but just a few. That, 
you know, we can talk about and kind of, and then sum it up. Uh, so, um, I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of start, uh, start off. I, I never understood why Mrs. Monroe was acting so hostile. Uh, it never was well established. It didn't seem like there was good reasoning for her to be quite so hostile. Uh, it didn't, it just didn't feel very true. It, it just felt like she was being hostile for reasons, um, because the script said so. And I, I never quite got it. Like what did, whatever happened to her? Like I, I, I you know, I, I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. And, yeah, and, and why didn't, didn't Sherlock Holmes care about her mystery and yeah, yeah. attempt to try and help her through and her it, problems? It made her very unlikable, and I wanted to like her, and it just seemed like she was making herself unlikable. What, what right, did you think? She was playing the part of the antagonist for a great deal of the movie, yes. so I can see why you felt that way. And it wasn't. It doesn't seem like it's a natural fit, but it was. It was, uh, I don't know, it was conflicting, especially since she is Roger's mother. And you kind of want to root for him. And because he likes his mother so much, it's kind of like, well, I'm sorry, Roger, but what do you see in her again? <laughs> I'm sorry. At times it felt that way. It felt like a misstep to have made her kind of villainous in that way. I didn't think she was villainous. I I kind of more thought, I do agree that they didn't really explain her antagonism towards him. Because it was established right away that there was a lot of distrust And I can see why someone would distrust Holmes. So I feel like they should have explained that more, like why she personally had a problem. Like she felt, she felt unwelcome in his presence and she kind of made him feel, yeah, like burdensome, but they don't, they never did really go into that. So I totally agree that that's kind of a, a slip up was just kind of creating that tension and not really explaining why it was there. Yeah. Other than maybe being an overprotective mother of her son, but that didn't even really start happening until later. It was like right away she had that antagonism. So yeah, for I sure. agree. Yeah. And it could have also been too, that in some ways she was just overly intimidated by Holmes and didn't feel the need to articulate that to anyone because mm. yeah. she was trying to be a very presentable woman. And because she was a, a career woman and she wasn't well off and she wasn't very well educated, she could not read that she had to uh, sort of pretend every day that everything every day in her life, that everything was okay. Mm, But she had a great deal of unsatisfaction with all of her life because here she was doing the cooking and cleaning for a a brilliant man, somebody very well renowned. But every time she was in his midst, she would also feel like she didn't, uh, you know, add up like, you know, she was, she she was um, out of her league Mm -hmm. perhaps. Yep. That's definitely possible. I think they should have gone into that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, you know, what you're saying makes sense, Joe, but I, I didn't yeah. get that coming out of the film, and it really didn't occur to me until you're talking about it now. So I'm sure that that, that, that you know, from a writing standpoint, that's their justification for it, but I just, I didn't get it as a film viewer. Right. I agree. And, and there were times throughout the film when I just felt like, uh, when the camera would linger on Mrs. Monroe and what she was doing at the with the dishes in the kitchen while she would be watching Roger out the window and she'd be fretting, I'd feel like, oh, come on, why can't you just lighten up a little bit just once? It didn't feel like there was a, a very consistent moment ever in the film when I was supposed to actually be convinced that she was likable and I should root for her in spite of the fact that she, she has her problems and, you know, I, I didn't feel like I should root for, for her own well being and some sort of character arc in Mrs. Monroe, even though we got one, you know, so, uh, you know, at least it, it does help that she, there, there are some good turning points and she was still relevant to the story. It wasn't like she was irrelevant. 
it, it was just um, it, it feels like if there is a shortcoming of the of the movie, I don't know if it's necessarily a shortcoming of the story, but if there is one, it's probably her. Yeah, and and you're right. They turned it around toward the end of the film, you know, where they you know they started developing her character more, and she became more. She transcended the 2D cardboard cutout that she was and, and became more. But but for most of the film, she felt very cardboard cutouty. Um, mm. I, I guess is what I'm, I'm aiming at. Yeah, definitely. So, um, how did you guys feel about the way the flashbacks and the kind of the you know the the way we would get into the different storylines? I, I felt like sometimes it was it was fine, and other times it felt pretty clunky. What what did you guys think? I hadn't thought about that. Uh, in in hindsight, I can see where you're coming from, but it didn't bother me while I was watching the film. Mm. Different different opinions from different people, I guess. <laughs> I think it was maybe a little clunky at times just with because there was two sets of flashbacks. There was mm-hmm. Japan mm-hmm. and then there was um, the original story with the mystery that haunts him. And I feel like although they both eventually come to a point that, like I said earlier, relates they, at the time, you don't really know that, and you're kind of like, okay, what is the point with this going back and forth to Japan with this right. serum he's making yes, and yes. everything else? Like, what's going on? So I feel like there, yeah, it could have probably been a little bit more obvious a little earlier, but they just kind of just didn't really go there. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I guess, guess I guess this is where, Joe, you're saying uh, that the BBC productions, they tend not to dress things up and, 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 you know, stylize things. And I feel like most of the time, most films establish some sort of motif by which you can tell what time period you're in when they do stuff like this. And there was no real motif established for that. Uh, you kind of had to figure out, oh, oh, we're in a different time period now. We're, we're flashing back. It, it wasn't, there was no way for you to know as a viewer other than, and again, I, I get respecting the audience. I like it when filmmakers respect the audience, but maybe a little bit more cue. I, I don't know. It just felt sometimes clunky. That you know, it, it's not a big thing, but it was like, ah, eh, felt like it could have been better. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I have one more disappointment, um, and then we can talk about any that you guys have as well. Um, but the, I felt like the, the source plot, uh, that kind of caused Holmes so much grief and the thing that he was blocking out, like that whole, the whole plot that caused him to retire felt a little thin. I, I felt like it wasn't really oh, yeah, well constructed. Like it, 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 it did fine in its framing of, of the, of telling the story of Sherlock Holmes. It did okay, but it could have been better. It was it was very thin. I, I didn't quite. It wasn't fully believable that this this is the way that it happened and that it caused this this chain reaction that that caused Holmes to to grieve so much about the way things had been. I, I, That's I didn't an interesting buy it. point. I felt like Ian McKellen was able to sell it, but just on paper, if you're thinking about the the facts of the matter, it doesn't sound very well done. No, no, I agree. Um, that's probably. I mean, I've already said mostly most of the things that I was disappointed about in the film or disliked, but that that's definitely one of them is it, it needed to feel more major than it felt mm-hmm. more personal to Holmes because he hardly knew this woman. Yep. So even though she, she kills herself or whatever that she, it just didn't feel like 
it wasn't enough of a connection. It just wasn't deep enough. I, I guess um, my, my biggest problem was like he's saying I should have done whatever it took. I should have gone away with her or whatever to keep her. Like like wait a minute. No, he actually. I, I guess this was this was my frustration. He told her the right thing. Woman, you have a husband. Go. You know, you, we we can't do this. <laughs> and you know, yeah. what what are you what are you trying to do here? You're trying to get involve me in in infidelity. Like uh, <laughs> you know, I I, I felt a little cheated by that whole storyline i felt a little frustrated by it like no you could have done that weird yeah it was weird i mean both me and my cousin were like uh like why did that that was awkward yeah that was very weird (laughs) yeah it it was just interesting how the the twists in this film i i I wasn't really expecting although uh, i should have seen what was happening with the bees coming a mile away I, when it actually happens, I wasn't sure what to expect at that point. Yeah, uh, me either. It was uh, convincing how they handled the situation, even if it was teetering on the edge of making some huge mistakes that would just be making that entire piece of the story fall flat on his face. Yeah, and I guess that was the biggest point of drama in the film. That what you're talking about, Joe, is is the the ending. We'll try not to spoil it here, but in case you, I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast if you haven't seen the film. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that that was I, I didn't know how that was going to turn out. I, I literally really was like I I could see the filmmakers going either way with this, and mm-hmm. and I was I was genuinely not sure which way it would go, and I'm happy with the way they took it. So yeah. Despite the yeah. uh, the thin motivating plot, uh, the film felt quite satisfying. I think. Yeah, I mean, it was. I like I said, I still think it was a good film, even though I wouldn't say it was a great Sherlock Holmes film. Sure, I just yeah. thought it was a good movie. So yeah, for sure, I agree. <laughs> you guys have any other things that you want to touch on before we kind of wrap it up? I, I thought it was interesting that they. It felt like, I don't know if this was a part of the source material. I would imagine it was for the novel that they would try to deal with some spirituality that was um, interesting how it it related to themes of Ar- 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 what was his name Arthur Conan Doyle how mm-hmm. um he he was kind of um out there in terms of spirituality the film uh, it kind of introduces this idea of spirituality in Holmes life and dealing with the afterlife and people who have gone before him and I, I didn't know exactly what to make of it. It was kind of nebulous. And it, it, I don't know that that worked. It was um, stuff that I, I guess maybe some people could appreciate who would fall into a, a similar camp. You know, maybe you're old in age and you would like to better relate to people who have gone before you. I just don't know. Like, um, did y'all have any awkward feelings about that? Because it didn't feel like it was. I'm not saying that it didn't work or that it doesn't make sense. Like, you know, whatever you want the character to do on screen, Ian McKellen can pull it off. But did it feel like it was incongruous with sort of what we were expecting to find when we paid for a ticket to see this film? Uh, I mean, so, so I, I guess I don't quite understand the question. What, what, are, what are you asking exactly? Maybe you can refer, help, help my poor little pea, pea brain to understand what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is all that spiritual stuff that Sherlock Holmes was doing in the movie. What's up with that? I guess that I guess that's what I mean when I say I don't understand your question. What do you mean by the spiritual stuff he was doing? Well, it it come out of did it feel like it was coming out of left field? Like he was trying to make it up as he went along in an era when that wasn't especially common, unless you had some sort of informed insight or opinion or a a uh, a friends and 
you know, contexts that were spiritual in some form or fashion. Like we know that Doyle was a spiritual man and he, he ran in circles where he had, he uh, was a fan of many people who were spiritual. He looked at their books. He listened to them speak in public. And it felt like this film sort of adopted the mentality towards spiritualism that uh, Arthur Conan, uh, Conan Doyle, I can, I can never say his name right. Arthur <laughs> Conan Doyle had in his own life. It just didn't feel very true to Sherlock Holmes unless the idea was that we were supposed to be convinced this was characteristic of an old man that was you know, concerned and thinking about things concerning the af- afterlife and what might become of him. Did y'all have any thoughts there? It just, uh, it's like they never really articulated what that was all about in the film. Perhaps it was something that worked better in the book. Uh, Alexis, why don't you tackle this? Because I'm not <laughs> quite sure where Joe's going with this. Um, I think you're referring to the scenes with the ancestor stuff where he adapts the, uh, the Japanese guy's way of community. You know, he, they go to that garden and they see that guy praying to the stones of the people oh, he's lost. You know what? I, then, I do remember that now. And yeah. it, it seriously, yeah. I did not remember that until the moment you brought it up because it seems so forgettable. <laughs> yeah. So it was so incongruous to me that I completely put it out of my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then at, th- at the end of the film, he's got all the stones. And I think, um, even though it's a little bit kind of, like a little bit off base, but I think it, it helps to understand like the journey Sherlock made through this movie and dealing with, you know, not compartmentalizing emotions from his life, but dealing with grief. The fact that he has Watson's gone, his brother's gone, you know, all these people in his life have are dead (laughs) and Mm. just really dealing with that. And, and then like, you know, Roger's right there at the whole time while he's kind of setting out the stones and stuff and it's kind of just like freeing him from like, maybe not really dealing with his grief for these people. Cause like I said, he kind of just seemed like, Oh, whatever about Watson, which he wouldn't have done anyway. But <laughs> right. Um, I think it's just, it was just a way of Sherlock dealing with grief, but yeah, they, it was kind of ambiguous. They didn't really explain. Um, not that they need to spell it all out, but they could have gone into more like why Sherlock would suddenly have a spiritual revelation on top of having the emotional revelation of, realizing he does care and want relationships with people. Mm, yeah. So. yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, like, again, it's sort of like interpreting Mrs. Monroe. Like we, you have to give her a little <laughs> help along and figure out what she, what's going on with her character and why she's more than just an antagonist with a right, poorly right. thought out character line, you know, but, uh, but yeah, if, if you describe it that way, mm. it, it makes a lot more Good. sense. Okay, good. <laughs> well, I, I think that we should uh, we should kind of wrap things up, and and what we usually do, Alexis, is we'll give kind of a summary of our thoughts. Uh, uh, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Should you go see it? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't you go see it? And then we'll give it a star rating on a scale of uh, of a five. It's a, it's a ten ten point scale, so you know it goes to half stars. You know, um, so out of five stars, how you would rate it? So we'll 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 start with you since you're our guest. Uh, what do you, what do you think about this film? Um, I. I gave it 3.5 stars as a film. I think it was, I thought it was great. I thought Ian McKellen's performance was great. Aside from the kind of story, muddled story parts that we just talked about. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I really, I enjoyed it as a film, as a Sherlock movie though, eh, I'd give it a little bit less, (laughs) but (laughs) I do, I did really enjoy it. And I do think that anyone who tends to like BBC or period piece stuff should go see it. Um, It's definitely worth watching. Okay. Joe. I'd have to say the same thing. I'm giving it three and a half stars. That was my gut feeling walking out of the theater. It was uh, not a, a total snoozer. It wasn't mm, it mm. really blowing me away either. Uh, you know, one strong performance is really not enough to give it four star cred. 
because yeah, the rest of the supporting cast were were good for their parts, but not great for their parts. And the story being a little bit muddled as to wonder, like, what are some of these things about? Like, I'm not sure what is going on at times concerning how the characters felt. Um, I think it was you, TJ, and, uh, and you too, Alexis, pointing out earlier that you, you weren't exactly sure what characters were thinking and what they were trying to emote, if they were trying to mm-hmm. emote anything at all at times throughout the film. And being that disconnected from the characters off and on again throughout the film makes it for a less interesting story at times in spite of the good performance. All right. So um, I'm, I get to go last, so I get to uh, trash talk you guys. So you have nothing left to say. <laughs> uh, I think you're a little harsh on it at three and a half. Uh, I'm going to go with four out of five stars. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I get where you're coming from with it not being uh, homesy enough or whatever, but I ultimately found it to be quite a satisfying film despite my minor complaints with it. So I'm going to go with four out of five, and I do recommend watching this one. It's, it's a good one. If, 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 you're really, if you just go to the theaters for the explosions and the, uh, the, the Avengers-style action, you're probably going to be disappointed, but otherwise I think it's a good one for you. So I'm proud of you, TJ. Mm-hmm. You are, are you? <laughs> Mm-hmm. You're trying to be older, wiser, more seasoned. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, that, that's me. Older, wiser, more seasoned. You're growing up. Uh, I am older than you by some amount. I don't know. Uh, so we don't know what we're going to be doing next week for our final episode of the Movie Bite podcast in its current form, uh, but we'll figure something out. Um, in the meantime, uh, let's let's tell the good folks where they can keep up with us at. Alexis, why don't you uh, give us some URLs or some Twitter <laughs> handles and some things, some, some things you want people to know about. Well, sure. Um, my blog is real cathedral that's real as in movie real r-e-e-l cathedral.net um there's also a real cathedral uh twitter and my own twitter that you can follow me on um alexis johnson uh twitter handle phoenician rises so that's where you can find me or just search (laughs) but i also have a facebook page for real cathedral as well so you can like that page and that's pretty much it for me all right good and joe uh tell the folks remind the folks where they can find you at I am underscore Joe Darnell on Twitter. I also have the coffee podcast, Top Brew, and the technology podcast, Tectonic.fm. And you can find me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro, uh, and you can keep up with me there. You can also follow Movie Byte on Twitter, uh, M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E. And you'll want to do that because in the coming weeks as we uh, retire this podcast and as we reboot it into something different, you're, that's where you're going to be able to find news about that, uh, that, that all that. that that'll that be upcoming over the next uh, couple of weeks and months so keep an eye on that uh, for news uh, and you can find show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 149 that's where you'll find the links to the things that we talked about and the, the various things that are interesting to you you'll find them all there and you can also share that URL with anybody you want to hear this episode as well And we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for joining us, Alexis. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you. It was great. Bye, Joe. Ta-ta. 